Hello and welcome to Accent of Women, a show by and about women from diverse cultures and languages right across the world. I'm Giselle Hanna. The Albanese government has invited Ferdinand Bongbong Marcos Jr. to address the Australian Parliament on Thursday the 29th of February. Bongbong Marcos Jr. is the son of former brutal dictator Ferdinand Marcos Sr., who was deposed in 1986. The apple does not fall far from the tree, and Marcos Jr. is shaping up to be quite the dictator himself. Marcos's visit coincides with the ASEAN Summit, scheduled to take place in Melbourne on the 4th, 5th and 6th of March. My guest today is Alexia Fuentes from Anak Bayan, a militant youth Filipino organisation. Progressive Filipinos in Australia are mobilising against Marcos Jr. and protesting against his visit and speaking engagements. Alexia explains why, but starts here by introducing herself. My name is Alexia. I'm the Secretary General of Bayan Australia, which is a multi-sectoral um, organisation and an alliance of progressive mass organisations of Filipinos here in Australia. I'm also the chairperson of Anakbay in Melbourne, which is a Filipino youth group uh, based here in, um, in Melbourne. We've learned that the president of the Philippines, Marcos Jr., is addressing the Australian Parliament on the 29th of February, much to the dismay of the progressive Filipino community. For starters, can you tell us who is Marcos Jr.? Ferdinand Bongbong Marcos Jr. is the son of the late dictator Ferdinand Marcos uh, Sr., um, who was um, ousted in 1986 by the Filipino people. His father was the head of the Marcos dictatorship for more than 20 years in the Philippines. And throughout those uh, decades, he had killed a lot of uh, activists um, and um, opponents and jailed a lot of his opponents. He's also notable for the assassination or you know, alleged assassination of uh, Senator Benigno Aquino before he was uh, overthrown in 1986. So Bongbong Marcos Jr. now um, is back in power. Um, the Marcoses are back in power after the uh, Duterte administration before him uh, allied with his uh, uh, family and his clan. So the, these two political dynasties and factions um, joined together to get the Marxists back into power. The Thetas themselves were notorious um, in terms of the human rights uh, violations in the Philippines. And they had a strong um, social media campaign and massive electoral uh, cheating to get the Marxists back in power and uh, curry favor in the uh, the Filipino masses. Um, and now that Marcos Jr. is in power, the, the Terte and Marxist faction is having a bit of a spat because now Marcos is pushing for a charter change to extend his presidency and further solidify their control um, of the government, which is now pushing out, it's pushing out the Duterte um, faction away from the picture. So this is basically the reason why they are having a spat and Duterte is opposing uh, Marcos's uh, charter change uh, agenda. But more than this, the charter change itself is calling for more of the opening up of the country to foreign investments, basically allowing 100% foreign ownership in the national economy, which will be selling out a lot of its um, resources um, to foreign uh, multinational corporations, primarily uh, US-based ones. 
Marcos Jr. was elected and his vice president is is Sara Duterte, is that correct? Uh, yes, Sara Duterte, which is um, the daughter of uh, the previous president, Rodrigo Duterte. So like I said, um, during the election, they, they were an alliance, a united faction, as you will, until recently, where this uh, the two factions, um, you know, um, are a bit of an spat because of the uh, uh, Marcus's agenda of pushing out the Duterte's away from the picture. So I want to ask you, is there a law in the Philippines that already says that presidents are only entitled to a certain number of terms? Yes. Um, so this is the 1987 constitution, which is the same constitution that was uh, ratified after the overthrow of Marcos Sr. So the 1987 constitution today is specifically ratified because of the Marcoses to prevent another Marcos dictatorship from taking power and uh, prolonging their uh, power. But now what Marcos wants is a charter change to change the constitution and allow him to stay longer in power. So this is basically his uh, main agenda because he cannot legislate his way out of this. He wants to change the constitution. So this is why we are primarily opposing it um, because we want to prevent another Marcos dictatorship. Duterte himself, though, was a pretty abhorrent president as well. His war on drugs saw the murder and assassination of between twelve and 30,000 Filipinos, mostly young men from poor backgrounds. But, of course, Marcos uh, is no saint himself. What has his response being to the war on drugs, the supposed war on drugs that is cover for basically killing opposition. Has he maintained that? Um, so Marcus um, is he's um, also a human rights violator. Um, he's definitely committing a lot of human rights violations himself as well. But um, I think in terms of the war on drugs, um, that was categorically uh, Duterte's uh, brand of silencing uh, the opposition, just using the war on drugs, basically. In terms of the war on drugs of the Dutertes, um, Marcus has, um, initially said that he will protect Duterte from any prosecution, even preventing UN observers from you know, conducting their own investigations and opposing any rulings uh, by, let's say, the ICC or the ICJ, even declaring that the Philippines is uh, you know, a sovereign country that will not let other third-party uh, international observers intervene in the uh, legal proceedings of the Philippines. So they will not let Duterte get prosecuted. So this was the promise that Marcus uh, made to Duterte during his uh, early part of the administration. But um, in terms of the human rights violations under the Marcus uh, regime now today as well, he is still persecuting a lot of uh, activists. And it's basically more of a uh, war on the so-called communists and the communist rebellion. So this is more of uh, Marcus's uh, focus. Basically, there's like a, two sides to his strategy, basically, because um, in the first place, he is um, declaring that he's willing to resume the peace talks with the National Democratic Front of the Philippines and the communists. On the other hand, he is continuing to arrest people based on accusations of uh, being red tagged because uh, the Philippines... Um, Red tagging is a uh, social phenomenon where the government can tag anyone or label anyone as a communist and a terrorist, and they can be arrested without warrant, especially now with the anti-terror council utilizing the anti-terror law that was uh, previously passed during Duterte. This is becoming a routine now in the Philippines.
It's an absolute tragedy. I just want to go back to the dynamic between Duterte and Marcos because the uh, attempts by Marcos to extend and make unlimited the terms that a president can serve and then this having the impact of causing a factional fight between the Duterte family and the Marcos family is very interesting. How do you think this will resolve itself? What do you think other uh, the how do you think this factional fight between two sides of the ruling class are going to play out yes the Dutertes, especially you know with Sara Duterte being vice president they definitely have interests in you know getting back into power and possibly holding a uh, you know position of presidency uh, again but with Marcus's um, you know position of um, extending his term uh, through charter change and you know, um, it's basically just um, taking the Dutertes out of the picture and they are threatened by this. The Rodrigo Duterte himself has, um, you know, threatened the Marcos administration that if he does this, he will secede from the Philippines. Mindanao will secede from the Philippines. I'm not sure how credible that threat is, but Marcos has responded in kind that he will send in the military if he does this. But um, we think that, you know, Duterte says a lot of things. Uh, it could be just hot air. But um, this spat between the two factions of the ruling classes is, um, you know, not really helpful in the uh, situation for the many Filipinos who are suffering, you know, poverty and the increasing prices of, of goods right now. And that's also going to be one of the things that will, you know, have an effect on the Filipino people when charter change goes through, because it's going to allow for 100% foreign ownership of, um, you know, the economy, which means uh, there's going to be more privatization, more deregulation. Basically, this neoliberal scheme to privatize everything um, will result in higher prices of goods, and many people can no longer afford to, you know, survive in the economy. So basically, we don't have a... Um, a stake in this uh, conflict or in this competition between the two factions, whether it's going to be Duterte or Marcos, um, they're both two sides of the same coin. We don't have a horse in this race, uh, so to speak. Uh, I I understand, and at the same time, um, having having limits on terms is still a, a good thing. But if the terms are either Marcos or Duterte, it's much of a muchness. Now, one of you mentioned cost of living, which is really interesting. Because at the same time that you've described the cost of living crisis that Filipino people are living through, Marcos's popularity seems to be very, very high. So I think you're right, the charter change is going to sail on through. But how do you explain Marcos's popularity given the brutality of his administration? As I have said earlier, this is um, part of the, you know, Duterte's uh, fault um, in the beginning. Um, during the Rodrigo Duterte's uh, presidency, he took care to promote, um, you know, the brand of politics, the Marcosian politics, that basically paved the way for the Marcos's return. There, there was a lot of um, social media uh, traction promoting Marcos's um, and the Duterte's uh, style of politics, of strongman politics. This basically shaped uh, a lot of the uh, public opinion around uh, uh, the Marcoses and the Dutertes, especially when they used to be, you know, united. Um, they was they had a uh, a big political machinery to um, to enable this type of um, campaign. At the same time, during the uh, electoral uh, period, um, when Marcos was still running for president, he promised uh, the Filipino people that the price of one kilo bag of rice will be twenty pesos and this is still um, has not happened. And in fact, 
the price of uh, of rice and other staple goods just continue to uh, skyrocket and, and it's no longer affordable for the uh, majority of the Filipino people. So uh, I think this is one thing that uh, we can do to expose Marcus's lies and um, false promises of making the price of rice and other uh, staple foods more affordable for the Filipino people and at the same time making false promises about the economy. So it's one thing to, this is one thing that we can do to challenge uh, the kind of narrative that the Marcuses want to portray themselves as, as, you know, um, uh, strong men who are ready to uh, bring the Philippines back into its um, golden glory days, or golden years during the Marcus dictatorship, which is still something that um, that they peddle, um, although we, we know that they are, you know, pure lies. And on community radio stations right across Australia, you're listening to Accent of Women. My guest today is Alexia Fuentes from Anak Bayan, a militant youth Filipino organisation. We're discussing the geopolitical landscape in relation to the Philippines in the context of Ferdinand Bongbong Marcos Jr.'s visit to Australia this month, coinciding with the ASEAN Summit. And then we come to the issue of why Marcos is visiting Australia at this particular point in time. I mean, there is a lot happening in our region and of course what um, our ruling class would consider the looming threat of China. What are the Australian government's relationship with the Philippines? Why is that relationship important? And why do you think Marcos is here at this particular point in time? The uh, importance of uh, Marx's visit um, here uh, in Australia is basically within the strategic uh, framework of the U.S. Uh, in terms of uh, the AUKUS uh, military alliance between the U.S., U.K. and Australia. And we believe that um, Philippines plays a vital role in ensuring that the mobilization of U.S., U.K. and Australian troops in the region, in the Asia-Pacific region, we know that Marcos himself is interested in purchasing um, nuclear submarines um, as part of this deal. Of this deal, which we know that you know um, Prime Minister Anthony Albanese um, is also interested in um, as a preparation for conflict with China. Bayan Australia is going to be protesting uh, Marcos's um, speech um, in Parliament in Canberra. Uh, to condemn both Marcos and Anthony Albanese's policies and for being puppets to uh, American foreign policy, along with their complicity with American war preparations against China and also their blind support for the genocide being committed by Israel against Palestine. And of course, we strongly oppose the militarization of Australian foreign aid, um, which in this case um, of the Philippines has contributed to human rights violations. So this is basically what we want to highlight during uh, Marcos's visit. And of course, we know that after his speech in Canberra, he's also uh, attending the ASEAN summit next week um, on March 4 to March 6, um, which we will also be there to, uh, to protest him. Just tell me a little bit about ASEAN, that summit that you mentioned. Can you explain who the participants are going to be and the political importance of the summit? The ASEAN summit will take place um, in Melbourne. Um, Melbourne is going to be hosting um, the summit at the Melbourne Convention and Exhibition Centre. It starts on March 4 uh, until March 6. So we are preparing to mobilise on the first day of the summit uh, on March 4 and perhaps continue some other actions after. The ASEAN Summit is going to be attended um, by other world leaders, 
So Marcos will, himself will be there, but along with other world leaders as well, we believe. So we're going to be uh, primarily protesting um, Marcos, but other groups are also joining us to uh, highlight other key issues relating to the ASEAN summit. Well, the ASEAN states have been asked many times to consider and take a position on the genocide of the Rohingya in Myanmar. In fact, Indonesia has taken quite a considerable position on that, though uh, no other voices in ASEAN have supported the position of um uh, I, I guess, not engaging and not recognising the military junta in Myanmar. Do you know if the Philippines has a position on that genocide? And, of course, I mean, there are many genocides in the region, unfortunately. Um, also, uh, I mean, I'm assuming that the Philippines would be lockstep in with the United States in relation to its support for Israel, but has the Philippines taken an independent position on the genocide in in Palestine? With the uh, uh, issue of the of Myanmar, I'm not aware of uh, the Philippines' uh, position on that specifically, but I know that um, our groups have been uh, vocal about our support for the Rohingya people, um, and also against the um, the the military. Uh, dictatorship in Myanmar. With regards to Palestine, as you have said, the Philippines is in lockstep with the US interests. Um, and the Philippines is following along um, this narrative as well. Even when there was a, a UN resolution on a humanitarian ceasefire, the Philippines abstained from this vote to not upset the US uh, interests in uh, in Palestine. And, and the Marcos uh, regime himself, um, even the Duterte regime previously, are known to purchase weapons both from the U.S. and from Israel. So they are using Israeli weapons to kill Filipinos in the country, in the Philippines. At the same time, these prophets are benefiting Israel and are able to maintain their uh, war machine against the Palestinians. So it is one whole U.S. war machine uh, working together in lockstep with the U.S., of course. I, again, I mean, this is a, a situation of uh, two sides of the same coin. Do you have a view about what relations with the US and what this international landscape, particularly China, would look like in a Biden versus Trump administration, bearing in mind the US election campaign is currently underway? So with Biden and Trump, like as you have said, it, they are two sides of the same coin. And I don't believe that um, it would affect their policy direction in relation to China or the, uh, the entire Asia Pacific region. The U.S. is keen on maintaining their um, su uh, military superiority in the region. Um, and they are planning to send more military uh, troops to the Philippines to participate in military drills uh, drills with the Philippines, especially uh, under the Enhanced Defense Cooperation Agreement with the Philippines. They are prepared to uh, conduct more joint military drills in the country to show off uh, and intimidate uh, China in this uh, in this region. So I don't think um, whether it's going to be uh, a Biden or Trump um, administration, and we've already seen Trump um, administration before um, having a same um, position, it did not stop the flow of uh, military troops, U.S. military troops coming into the Philippines. 
And again, dealing with these geopolitical issues, one of the biggest issues facing Pacific Island nations in particular is the issue of climate change. And of course, that's a lot of what these discussions are and what the um, posturing is in the um, in the Pacific at the moment with the US and China vying for support from Pacific Island nations and what we consistently hear from the leaders of those nations is the urgency of a climate crisis for them. Uh, and the Philippines, we've seen a lot of uh, climate-related crises, particularly typhoons um, and, and cyclones. Does the Philippines um, have a position on climate change and is it using its strategic negotiating power with the US to try and raise some of these demands? With the Philippines, especially with their um, interest in opening up the country to you know uh, foreign investments, I don't think they have a uh, very environmental friendly uh, position. Um, in fact, um, it's going to be the opposite. When they open up the country to more foreign investments and multinationals, we're going to be seeing what we're already seeing, um, but perhaps it will be, uh, worsen uh, the degradation of in the, and the environmental impact on the country. Because when they open up the country, it will allow more uh, foreign mining corporations to be able to extract natural resources from the Philippines. Already we have um, Oceana Gold, uh, which is, I believe, an Australian-Canadian uh, company, leaving uh, like environmental degradation uh, in their tracks wherever they, uh, um, they conduct their open pit mines um, in the country, in the Philippines. With this in mind, um, especially with the ASEAN summit uh, coming up, um, we believe that um, the Philippines is going to be uh, for sale uh, to these um, you know, foreign uh, countries and corporations, and they're going to be open up, opening up the country uh, to these types of exploitation. We're just going to see a lot, well, a lot worse for the Philippines um, and I'm not sure if it's going to be able to withstand um, all of the natural calamities and typhoons that will be, you know, um, coming in its way when the time comes um, after all the trees have been logged and all of the uh, you know, natural resources have been extracted from our, um, from our lands. Really devastating. I agree. I mean, what, what can you say to that? Uh, Alexia, you said that you and your comrades will be heading to Canberra to oppose Marcos's speech on the 29th of February. Is there a public demonstration that any of our listeners in Canberra can attend on that date? On the February 29th in Canberra, we will start our program at 10 a.m. Uh, in front of Parliament Hill. We are going to be conducting a short program there. Uh, we have also invited other speakers, uh, including uh, Senator Jordan Steele-John from the Australian Greens and other um, Solidarity friends and allies. And after our program there, we will be then uh, marching down to the U.S. Embassy and then the Philippine Embassy. Um, and then we'll be departing Canberra at 2 p.m. And for people who are in Melbourne, there's also a simultaneous action going to uh, take place at the uh, outside the Philippine Consulate uh, in Collins Street. Excellent. And then, of course, the ASEAN Summit, which is scheduled for Melbourne on the 4th of March. Can you tell us a little bit what's happening by way of protest for any of our Melbourne listeners that would want to get along to that? Yes. Um, so on March 4, the action will um, start at 4 p.m. Uh, at the Melbourne Convention and Exhibition Centre. Um, and from 4 p.m., we will be um, holding a program 
and we'll have different speakers from the Philippines and uh, some of our allies and also invited other groups as well to speak on behalf of other issues um, in involving uh, Palestine, West Papua um, and um, other uh, issues that are related to the ASEAN summit. And at 6 p.m., Marcos Jr. himself is expected to have dinner with some members of the Filipino community at the Melbourne Town Hall. Of course, we have not been invited into this function, so we are going to be picketing outside Melbourne Town Hall uh, during this time. So again, that's 4 p.m. at the ASEAN Summit at the Melbourne Convention Exhibition Centre and 6 p.m. at Melbourne Town Hall. Alexia, it has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Uh, is there anything you'd like to add to the discussion? Perhaps just in uh, in closing, I want to invite the uh, the Filipino people and uh, our allies as well um, to oppose uh, Marcus Jr. and uh, Anthony Albanese's uh, foreign American foreign policy, um, and to oppose uh, further uh, the militarization of the Asia Pacific uh, in lockstep with U.S. imperialist interests. So we want to invite you to come down to our rallies, to our planned activities. Um, if you want to find out more, um, you can also look uh, look us up on Instagram and our social media, um, or you can uh, send us an email and we'll be happy to speak with you. Thank you. That was Alexia Fuentes from Anak Bayan, a militant youth Filipino organisation. And we were discussing the politics of the Philippines in the context of Ferdinand Bongbong Marcos Jr.'s visit to Australia this month, coinciding with the ASEAN Summit. If you're interested in any of the protests that Alexia mentioned, make sure you check out their Instagram, Anak Bayan Melbourne, and that is spelt A-N-A-K-B-A-Y-A-N-M-E-L-B-O-U-R-N-E, Anak Bayan Melbourne. There'll be actions on Thursday the 29th of February in Canberra with simultaneous actions in Melbourne, Sydney and Perth. And then there'll be some protests outside of the ASEAN Summit at the Melbourne Convention Centre on the 4th, 5th and 6th of March. I'll also put a link on the Accent of Women podcast page. But that's all we've got time for on today's program. Accent of Women is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally via the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. Music for Accent of Women was written and produced by George Kunjeri. If you want to hear this show again or any of our previous programs, you can download the podcast from 3CR's website. That's 3cr.org.au. Go to the Accent of Women page and follow the links to this week's show. If you want to get in touch with the producers of the show, you can write to us at accentofwomen at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or like our page on Facebook. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Giselle Hanna and I look forward to your company again next week.